So we're talking about which version of the Bible we should use. And we covered a lot of ground last time. I started by covering the points of pride that we have to be careful about. Things like my version is the best version or God's primary language is English. My version is providentially ordained by God. We just have to be careful of some of the uh, positions that we might hold or the feelings that we might have towards the particular version of the Bible that we use. Then we move from interpretation to translation, interpretation versus translation, what the, the differences are between something being inspired of God and the translations that we have in our hands. So we talked about that. And then we went on to talk about God's providential work in preserving his word. And this is really important, and this is, uh, we talked a little bit about the manuscripts, the Greek manuscripts, and does anybody remember how many about manuscripts there were, or fragments of manuscripts? Anybody remember from last time? 6,000. Uh, about 6,000 uh, Greek manuscripts and fragments of manuscripts. And the, we, I mentioned that the differences between them are roughly, you know, 5%, so we're not talking about a whole lot. We also discussed the dating a little bit, um, and I made the joke, which Ben referred to during the Sunday morning service about, you know, the Alexandrian text not being used and collecting dust, and that's why, you know, they're the oldest, because nobody used them. Uh, but in reality, when we're talking about a process that spans many, many, many years, that has brought us, you know, that many manuscripts, then... A hundred years is really negligible, and I don't think time... Also, dating is a little bit, you know, kind of iffy. Uh, how do they date a manuscript? Well, they look at it. They look at the way it was written. They look at the material that was, it was written on, and they look at, you know, how it was bound together. They, they look at those kinds of things, and, and it's kind of hard to pinpoint. So, you know, if I lift up my iPad here and you're going to date it, what are you going to date it as? Well, you're, it's going to have to be a range, right, within the last few years. Um, you, you can't pinpoint it, you know, it's, you just have an, a general idea. So, a hundred years back in the fourth century is really negligible as far as if one is, you know, 350 and the next one is 375. Well, the fact that you have a codex that was created from other manuscripts just kind of begs the question as to which one is oldest. You know that there were other things behind them anyways. So I don't think that that's the major factor. Honestly, to me, is it is the... And if you remember from last week, I kind of side with the majority text. In other words, I go with the text family that has the majority of manuscripts. And that's just my position. But again, we're not talking about a whole lot of differences. But there is something that's important that we have to consider. Now, for this, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. And when we consider this, this has a bearing on what we believe about Scripture or the extent to which we look at it and understand what it is that we hold in our hands. So, assuming God's providence was at work in the giving of the message, in the preserving of the message, in the transmission of the message that has brought us down to what we have today. And I think, and I know, and I'm confident in, you know, God's preserving work. I read this quote. If you take 
Just put the manuscripts aside for, for a moment and you just take the way that others throughout history have copied the Scripture in their sermons and, and in their things that they've written. It's just, it just mushrooms and, and, and just blossoms out from those 6,000 manuscripts. And the amount of, of witness on, on how similar they are to one another, given how widely transmitted transmitted and how often they're transmitted the fact that they line up as much as they do is phenomenal and there is nothing else in human history that shows that same kind of support and process so what we have is God's providence at work and is pretty remarkable so if we look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 18 uh, it says this and, and this is pertinent as far as the decision in making, the decision you make in choosing which version of the Bible you want to use. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus says, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So we're looking at this reference that Jesus makes to the jot and to the tittle. And of course, he's referring to the Hebrew language or the Aramaic language, which uses the same uh, characters. But when he says a jot in Greek, it's the letter yota. And I put up there the word kyrios, which is the word Lord in Greek. So you see where it says yota and then Greek in parentheses and then kyrios. I wrote kyrios in Greek. And I pointed the arrow to the yota, which is in the middle of that word. So uh, that's the Greek word in the text of Matthew. And it's a reference back to Hebrew, the Hebrew letter yod. And so you see where it says, I have yod, and then I have Hebrew in parentheses, and then I have the tetragrammaton, which is the name of God in the Old Testament. And I have an arrow pointing to the very first kind of mark, and it's the smallest of the letters there. In Hebrew, it is only just kind, of a, just kind of a mark up at the top of the line. All the others, you know, all the other letters extend from the top of the line to the bottom of the line. It's a, it's a block text. But the Yod is the smallest of the Hebrew letters. And so Jesus is saying not one of the smallest of the Hebrew letters, not one of the smallest of the letters is going to pass until all is fulfilled in the law. He also uses the word tittle, and there it gets even more, you know, pronounced. So a, a tittle is the smallest of strokes, and it is equivalent to the line that distinguishes a capital F from a capital E, for example. It's just the stroke at the bottom that makes the difference between F and E. That's a tittle. So in Hebrew, you have the same thing. On uh, the left, I have the letter Vav, and then I compare that to a gimel. So you have a vav and a gimel, and the only difference is the one little stroke at the bottom. Now this is why this is important. Jesus says not one of these little marks is going to pass until all is fulfilled. In other words, what Jesus is doing, he is placing a premium of significance on the smallest of characters that have been revealed to us as the word of God. And so it makes a difference. And this should start to kind of gear our minds to the fact 
that we do not have much leeway when it comes to how we make a translation. If every mark is important, then it is it behooves us to stick as close to the marks as possible when making a translation. So that's what Jesus is saying here. Now, to give you another example of what we're looking at or what we're considering when we approach the Word of God, here is another example from Matthew chapter 22, verse 32. Now, Jesus is being confronted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees believed in a resurrection And the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. That's why they were so sad. You see? All right, I just couldn't help myself. I've made that joke before. but uh, So the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. That's why they were so sad. You see? So anyway, um, Jesus quotes this. He says, going back to the, the Old Testament, he says, I am the God of the of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's the quote. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then he says this, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now what Jesus is doing when he is quoting this from the Old Testament is is that he is going to the tense of the verb where it says, I am, as opposed to I was, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he says, and he uses this to affirm that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still living and that God is the God of them. And so we see that not only are the strokes of the text inspired by God, but so is the tense of the text. So it's really important, the scripture, when it comes to the scripture, that, again, this is unlike any other book, we are not free to alter it or to change it or to modify it in any way. These are, th- this, is, this is pretty particular when it comes to what has been inspired and what is important for us to remember and to know. So, what this means is, is that if you are doing a detailed Bible study, I believe that you should use a word-for-word Bible, a, a translation that has been translated word-for-word as opposed to a translation that takes the meaning of a phrase, maybe, and just kind of uh, transports it over uh, in an easier way, says it in an easier way. And um, we just have to be aware of what you use. And then you have a paraphrase, and a paraphrase is not a translation at all. It's just meant to you know, convey the text in the simplest of terms. And I'll show you some examples in a moment. So if you're doing... If you do detailed Bible study, then that's when you want to start making sure that you're working from a word-for-word translation. And even there, there's going to be some issues that you have to be aware of. And when we talk about studying the Bible, how to study the Bible, which will be one of our next upcoming Wednesday night Bible studies, then uh, we'll talk about some, some of these things a little bit more. So uh, um, I use the New King James Version This is when I'm preaching. I'm preaching from the New King James Version. Uh, When I'm studying, I have have the original languages up there also, not just the the English, so I'm using all of these. I have a great Bible study tool. It's the Logos Bible Study uh, software, and it's um, the best that's out there. I, I was a programmer in Bible study software, putting myself through school, so I know how all that stuff works. 
And uh, the Logos is just the, the most valuable resource that we have today. So uh, sometimes when I'm preaching, you will hear me focus in on a word during the course of my sermon, and I'll say it means this, and sometimes I'll compare it to another version in order to bring out the meaning of the word and help us to kind of zero in on what the text is actually saying. A lot of times translation becomes interpretation, the interpretation of the translator, and I think that that's a mistake. But, but if you don't do it, then the translation, there's no one-to-one correspondence between any language. So translation is a difficult and challenging process. And so that, that uh, comes up here as well. And so we'll talk about these things. I'll mention them in my sermons. I'll focus on the meaning of a word. I'll focus on the structure of a passage maybe in order to kind of help us to see what the text is saying a little bit easier because not one jot or tittle is going to pass. Not one stroke will fall away from the word of God. This is what he gave to us and it is all going to be fulfilled. And so it is It requires us to do some work in order to preserve that when we are coming to the Word of God. So if you're going to pick a translation, we want to pick a translation that is word for word. So if you look at your seat here, I've basically, I've listed, I've listed the different kinds of Bible translations. So the first one over here is... A predominant use of formal equivalence. You see that at the top of the page? Predominant use of formal equivalence. Formal equivalence is, another, is a fancy way of saying the word-for-word kind of translation. So you could pick one of these, and, I, and the dates are present here. I didn't, I didn't construct this chart, by the way. Um, I found this resource, so it's pretty valuable here. And you'll see uh, the New King James Version right there in the middle and other... I've used some of these, but not all of them. I've used the New American Standard, and I've used the King James, obviously, and I've, uh, I have the English Standard Version because all the young whippersnappers are using that these days, and you know, I kind of got that out. So uh, these are formal equivalents. And By the way, if I wasn't using the New King James, I would be using the ESV version of the Bible. That, that would be my next choice. Then you have a moderate use of... Formal and dynamic equivalence. So formal equivalence is word for word. Dynamic equivalence is more of the thought by thought in order to convey what it says by thought. So that is a dynamic equivalence. And you'll see that there's some overlap between formal and dynamic equivalence. And the reason, again, is uh, translation is often more of an art. You, you have interpretation on the part of the translator in many cases. Why? Because a word can mean, you know, it could have several nuanced meanings. And based on the context, the interpreter, the translator has to make a decision as to which word he's going to use. And a lot of times that's interpretive. Most of the time it's helpful. Some of the times it's just a mistake. So we just have to keep that into consideration. On the next page, it has extensive use of dynamic equivalence or paraphrase or both. So you'll see... Um, Things like the New Living Translation, the New International Version. Um, I don't think the New International Version was on the first page there. But uh, the New International Version was very popular for a long time. And I think it still has a strong following. Um, It's a dynamic equivalence type of translation. 
And that just means, like I said, you're t- instead of going word for word and making the translation, you're just going phrase by phrase. And the idea is to make the meaning a little bit simpler. And that matters. I have on the screen here a chart with the reading levels of the different versions. So you pick up the King James Version, and that, according to this chart, and of course, you know, you might find some modifications to this, but according to this chart, you have, the King James Version is at a 12th grade reading level. And so you might find that challenging when you pick up the Bible to do your devotions with a 12th grade reading level. And then uh, to, to just kind of compare with that, you have the ESV, which is on the first side. There's a 10th grade. The New International Version is 8th grade. The New King James Version is 7th grade. Maybe that's why I use it, because it's just like even easier, right? <laughs> and then uh, the, the message down there is at 5th uh, grade level. So uh, this chart and this chart might help you select your version of the Bible. Um, obviously, it's helpful if everybody in the church uses, uses the same translation. I mean, that's just helpful. If you're going to do Bible memorization, and, you know, if you you're send your kid over to the, the youth group and they memorize out of uh, the ESV and then they come home and they say, Daddy, Daddy, I just memorized this, this Bible verse. And so they, they go ahead and they spit it out in the, new, the ESV and you've got, you're looking at it in your New King James Version and you think, well, you know, you said this word, but it's really this word and, you know, you messed that up. Maybe you need to work on it a little bit better. We wouldn't say that, right? We can say, good job, you know, let's work on it some more. And, but uh, so anyway, you know, things like that, they're, they're minor things, but as long as we know what's going on, um, that's where we have to make the adjustments. Uh, that are needed. So anyway, these are language reading levels for the different versions of the Bible. And yes, it's helpful to understand. And that's important too. So for example, when I first became a Christian, I was a teenager, 17 years old, and I picked up the only Bible that I saw there on, in the house, and it was the Living Bible, the Living Bible, which is a paraphrase, it's not a translation at all. What did I know, right? That's the Bible that we had. So I picked it up, I opened to Genesis, and I just started reading. I read it through. The first 20 times I read through the Bible was with the Living Bible. And you know what that did for me? I became familiar with all of the stories in the Bible. I knew the flow of the Bible from beginning to end because I read it in an easy-to-read Living Bible. Paraphrase. And so it has its value. Also, when we read children's books, right, to our children, we pick up a children's book or a children's Bible, and that's even simpler. And that's okay. We're trying to teach them the account of Noah and the ark or Moses and the burning bush and the exodus and on and on and on it goes. And that's okay, as long as we understand that what we have, uh, what we're working with. And so that's, that's really important. Now, I'll give you some examples in a moment, but there's one other thing that I have to say. How many of you have a red letter edition? A red letter edition. All right. A red letter edition is a very helpful resource, but I have, I have to remind us that the red letters are not any more important than any of the other words in the scripture. Yes, these are the words of, of what Jesus said, and what Jesus said is really important, but in reality, he is the word, and it is all his revelation here. And those are the words that 
are particularly uh, focused on because he said them uh, during the course of his life here on earth. But the other passages are just as inspired by God um, then as the red letter. So I know that might sound a little strange to many of you, but we're, we're, we're talking about the word that has come to us inspired by God. And so these are some of the things that we have to consider. Now, if I turn to 1 Thessalonians 4.4, 4, so you might want to turn in your Bibles, depending on what version you have, 1 Thessalonians 4.4. 4 just to illustrate how this might come out in your Bible study. So you're reading 1 Thessalonians 4.4, 4, and in the King James, New King James Version, it says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. So that's what it says in the New King James Version. And in the NIV, remember, the NIV is a dynamic equivalence, Version. So it says there that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. So if, if you're looking at 1 Thessalonians 4.4 4, and you at that point decide that you are going to study it word for word. I mean, you just get excited about the verse and you just decide in your NIV you're going to study it and you come to the word learn. Um, you're going to develop some kind of idea. Well, learn. I've got, I've got to study these things. I've got to learn them. I've got to learn how to control my body. And so you're, you're going to focus on controlling, and you're going to focus on your body, and you're going to try to make it in such a way, your life such that it is holy. Now, none of these things are contrary to the Word of God, but... We have to be careful that if we're going to do a word study on 1 Thessalonians 4.4, 4, we might want to get a word-for-word -word translation before we do that word study because the NIV might have made just kind of an interpretive translation there based on, you know, whatever, to make it easier to read or so on. So you see what I'm saying? You shouldn't... You shouldn't be focusing in on the word control. You should be focusing in on the word what instead? Now, now here's the trick of making the correspondence between... You're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna parallel learn with know, control with possess, vessel with body, holy with sanctification. You see, you see that? Those are the differences between these two versions. And so if you're going to zero in on a word at, and you're using the NIV, that's fine. As long as you understand what you've got in front of you and what you have to do to make the adjustment to study in detail that verse. You understand what I'm saying? All right. So this is the kind of difference that you might find. Now, I just picked up an example where, there's a, where different words are used that may convey different meanings. And so that, that's why I have this example here. You might have... Uh, you might have uh, another kind of you know, difference that is, that is going on. So this is the difference that we have to uh, compare about uh, or be concerned with. Now, if you go to something like the message, I have John 3.16 here in the message. Now, the message is, is a paraphrase. It's not a translation. And so their purpose in writing the message is ease of read, readability. 
So notice, we know John 3.16, the New King James, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? We know that, that well and we love it. In the message it says, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. So far so good. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Now, this is a pretty significant difference to me. I, I mean, in the one, we're talking about eternal life, and in the message, we're talking about a, that you might have a good life here on this earth. So that, that's kind of the impression I get anyways from reading John 3.16 in the message. And that's a, that's a theological difference right there. That, that, that's a difference that might lead you astray in your understanding or your theology. And so that's why you have to be careful, especially as you move down... Um, into the paraphrase thing, you definitely don't want to zero in on, you know, studying the words or the phrases, and even studying the verse and the message here it just leads you to a wrong conclusion. So you just have to be very careful. I had some other examples um, from from the message here, but I don't think I need to say any more about that. So those are the differences between the message. I, I mean the the translations here, and, and I've just touched the surface on this stuff. I, I haven't really, you know, we haven't really taken a dive into any of this, but hopefully enough to just kind of direct us, you know, towards what we should be looking at and where we should uh, kind of land. So does anybody have any questions, maybe about your version, if you have a different version, or about the process or anything? Tyson? I hope not. Where is that? Like I said, I didn't compile this list, so I, I pulled it off. So um, the New World, where is that? It's on the second modern use of both formal and dynamic. The second one. New World, I think it is. You don't want to use that version at all. All right, thank you for pointing that out. I think the New World, I think uh, Tyson is right. The New World Translation is the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible, and, and they do change it in order to accommodate their theology. Yeah. All right, good. Any other, any other questions? Yeah, well. Well, Christianity today is divided into three major branches. So you have Protestantism, you have Catholicism, and then you have Orthodox, the Orthodox Church. So um, if you have an Orthodox... Now, somebody else asked me about a study Bible earlier. Uh, we'll cover that when we talk about how to study the Bible. So an Orthodox... My, just going from what you said, an Orthodox study Bible would be a Bible, and I don't, my, I don't know what translation it would be, maybe one of the Catholic kind of versions, or maybe they have their own. Um, but it would be their version of the Bible with the theology of orthodoxy in the notes at the bottom. So that's what a, a study Bible, if you have a study Bible... So if, if you come and if you look at my Bible, it is not a study Bible. It just has the text of the Bible with cross-references. 
It is not a study Bible. But if you have a study Bible, you have the text of the Bible at the top, and then you've got a whole half a page of notes and comments at the bottom. Anybody have study Bibles here? All right, great. Uh, Study Bibles are fantastic. If I were to recommend kind of the next step of studying the Bible, it would be to get a good study Bible. Because what you can do is you can read the verse and then you can drop down and read the comments on the verse. So, you, so you're really getting a good commentary. I mean, presuming you have a good study Bible, you're getting commentary, good commentary on the text of the Bible right there in your Bible. So uh, some of the times, some of the other times, I, I had the open Bible was my first study Bible, the open Bible. That's what it was called, the open Bible. So uh, I told you I read through the Bible the first few times with the living Bible, but the next few times I read through it was with the open Bible. And I read the text of the Bible and I read the commentary at the bottom. And I just, you know, read it all and I learned so much, you know, that way. So study Bible, a good study Bible uh, has a whole lot of comments right there on the page as you read the Bible. Now they tend to be a little bit thicker. Mine's thicker because it's like extra large print. But it has no notes. So uh, if it was normal print uh, with no notes, then it would maybe be, you know, half the size of this. But they, the, the study Bibles tend to be fatter and heavier because um, they have a whole lot more stuff in it. But I loved my open Bible. It had maps in it. I love maps. It had maps and comments, and I just loved it. I just, uh, I just loved that Bible. Uh, Tina, show, show everybody your study Bible. Hold it up. Look how fat that is. You've got to be a bodybuilder to carry that. Joe, do you have a study Bible too? Do you have the same one or is it a different? Same one. Yeah, they t- you have a study Bible? All right, look at, look at, look at the, um, these study Bibles right here. I mean, it's just... Yeah, you got pictures, right? Love that. The Holman. Yeah, the Holman. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. Now, of course, it depends on the author... Yeah, Darlene, you know, you just... Uh... Hey, Haley, what, Haley, what kind of... Which version? One, which one do you have? Crossway is the publisher. ESV is the translation. No, it's not going to be Holman. Okay. Yeah. All right, usually, like uh, your mother's there, it says Life Application Bible. So that's the name of the study Bible there. Yeah. And then uh, some of you, like Anthony, uses the Bible on the phone. This is so incredible. I tell you what. I got so many translations on my How many? Bible. Like 70, 70. That's like going to a restaurant when you're hungry and <laughs> you have to pick something. That, that, that's just, uh, you know, how do you choose? Well, you know, how do you choose from commentaries? But I tell you what, I, I literally have like over 3,000 books on my phone. That's bigger than my real library in my office, which are still in boxes in the closet. And, and that's all my books are still in the boxes in the closet because I don't have anywhere to put them. All my bookshelves are filled. But my phone... Man, and it's not even any heavier. You know, it just weighs the same. Thousands of books. And then online resources are, are just, you know, the, the amount of information 
And there is something about having too much information. I mean, we have too much information, so much information. You just really have to pick and choose. So if you're gravitating to your favorite Bible preacher or your favorite comment, comment, commentator, or, you know, um, that, that's okay. I mean, we have to, we have to choose. We, we cannot handle all those resources. It's just too much. It's data overload. So, but it's there if, you know, we, if you wanted the resources. And I tell you what, just think about what a blessed day we live in because if we lived back in the second or third or fourth century, um, we even see reference to it in, in the Bible where Paul says, I want you to read this epistle to the Laodiceans and I want you to read their, the epistle that I sent to them. And you, you just have to you'd de- be dependent on an epistle happening to come your way and being read to you from, you know, in church. Um, that's all they had early on. And then, of course, you know, things slowly improved and increased. And then you had the printing press, and that just kind of revolutionized uh, information trans- transmission there. So we, we really have a lot of resources available to us. Uh, you don't have to know the languages anymore. You just click a button and just get the information that you need and, and just study it. Yeah. But you do need to study. You do need to work you at it. You need to seek it. We still haven't developed the process of putting it under your pillow and you know, kind of absorbing it overnight. We just haven't gotten there yet. Any other questions or comments about translations or versions of the Bible? All right, wonderful.